0: Just a quick word before the episode starts. Um, Later on in the episode, I do talk about some heavy topics um, like genocide um, and what's going on in Gaza. So just kind of a content warning here. If you're not comfortable listening to me talk about those subjects right now, I would encourage you all to maybe skip this episode or come back and listen to it later. Hello and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disaster with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As a part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, no one on this podcast is an expert in these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, personal experiences, perspectives, and opinions, but there are many credible online sources for further information. Today we just have myself, Catherine Slaughterback, and today we're going to be talking about um, the two main international courts, the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court. Um, going into some background on both, Um, as well as why you may have been hearing them in the news recently. Um, But before we get into that, I just wanted to speak to you a bit about our business sponsorship program. Um, As you should be familiar with if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, um, there are many different ways that people can support the work we do here at GEC, but one of the big ones is through business sponsorships. So if you or anyone you know owns a business and is looking to support Nonprofits doing really important work with children, Um, I really encourage you to reach out to us on our website. You can click the little contact us button uh, and we will be able to provide you with more information. Um, Like I said, this is just one of the many ways that people and businesses can support GEC, um, which I will discuss later in the episode. So yeah, Um, like I was saying, we're going to be talking about the two main um, international courts today. Um, so first up is the International Court of Justice. Um, this is one of the main principal organs of the United Nations. Um, there are six. Uh, we've talked about some of the others before, like um, the Security Council, the General Assembly. Um, I don't think we've talked about them, but there's also um, the Economic and Social Council, um, the United Nations um, environmental assembly as well as the trusteeship council though the trusteeship council hasn't um, actually been running since i believe the 1990s when the last trusteeship state um, had established independence and was running its own government Um, so yeah uh, this means that any state or, um, or country they're called states in international jargon, but for the, us in the United States, it's kind of a little weird to hear that. So, if I say state, I'm referring to country. Um, means that any country who is a part of the UN is also party um, to the ICJ, uh, meaning that they're under their jurisdiction. Uh, now, this court isn't meant for like criminal proceedings; it's really just settling disputes between states. Um, based on international law. So kind of think of it like our civil court system here in the U.S. States can sue each other um, for violating international law. Um, a big way that this is used is over um, like territorial disputes and stuff, specifically with the laws of the sea. Um, there are these, th- these things called um, exclusive economic zones where states own so much of the kind of economic Area outside of, like, beyond their border into the ocean, states fight over those all the time. So, these are (laughs) the ICJ is one of the main principal organs for settling these disputes, Um, though it also gives advisory opinions on international legal issues. Um, The ICJ is the only international court that um, adjudicates disputes between countries. Um, and its rulings and opinions serve as, like, this primary force of international law, like the basis of international law. Um, this court is the successor to the Permanent Court of International Justice. Um, this is part of the League of Nations. Um, and after the Second World War, the League um, and this court were replaced by the UN and the ICJ. So kind of like with the regular UN or the main UN body um, that looked... To the League of Nations to establish its kind of structure and purpose. Um, the statute of the ICJ does the same with the PCIJ. Um, and like I said, all member states are party to this. Uh, all have the ability to initiate legal cases against each other. Um, however, I mentioned earlier these advisory opinions that the court can issue. These can only be submitted by certain um, UN organs and agencies. Now the ICJ is made up of 15 judges. These judges are selected by the UN General Assembly and the Security Council. They serve nine-year terms and only one judge is able to be from one country. So, like, you, like the court isn't just made up of a bunch of judges from the U.S. or the U.K. or, you know, European countries. It has to be um, representative of the entire global community. So, they're from all over the world. And, fun fact, the ICJ is the only principal UN organ that is not located in New York City. It's actually located in The Hague, Netherlands. Um, so, it's kind of different from... Uh, all the other UN bodies, while they often have offices all over the world, um, their main headquarters are here in New York City. So if you've ever been in New York, I really encourage you to, or are planning to go in the future, you should totally go take a look at UN headquarters. It's pretty impressive. It's actually really beautiful. I've been there once. Um, I even got to go into the General Assembly Room. Um, it's, it's so just astounding to look at. Um, So I I really encourage anyone who has the opportunity to go. So as I think anyone who kind of knows about the history of the League of Nations and what was going on um, in the world during World War II and the lead up to that, um, you're familiar with how the League declined in power or how it just wasn't able to adequately respond to the events that were occurring. So this was kind of similar um, with the PCIJ, which after like a lot of activity in 19, the, the early 1930s, uh, with the growing international tension and the rise of isolationism kind of everywhere um, made that it's, the PCIJ was no longer doing the amount of work that had previously. And the Second World War essentially put an end to any and all work that the court had been doing with that, the court itself. Um, So um, as um, the US, the UK, and uh, the USSR were coming together and we're like, okay, we need to create a new international organization after, you know, we defeat the Nazis, we need to have some body that will be able to, um, like, we need an international court to be able to handle issues that come up um however they did agree that you know, the court should be based on that of the pcij um it should retain the ability to issue advisory opinions um and that like the new court's jurisdiction should be voluntary so that's like with the un you know you you no state is automatically a member you have to Apply to be in the UN, and with that application to the UN, you are then accepting the court's jurisdiction over you. Um, It also said that the court should only deal with judicial and not political matters. So, yeah, Um, when you know they all got together, or so, yeah, when all of these countries came together to create the UN, the UN uh, Court of Justice came with that. So, since it was established in 1945 by the UN Charter, um, the court has been working. It officially began work in 1946 um, after the PCIJ officially um, ended their work. Um, and uh, the UN Charter does authorize the UN Security Council to enforce court rulings. Um, however, we've talked before about you know the veto power. So, really, that's subject to what the five, um, what the P5. uh, have going for them, or if the P-5 agree with what the judges have ruled. Which if you're paying attention to pretty much anything, it's pretty hard to get all of them at agreement these days. Um, So you can see why that would be a challenge. Of course, you know, with any international organization, the UN in particular, there are criticisms. I don't want to paint this as being a perfect body. Obviously, right off the bat, the ICJ can only hear cases from states, so organizations, private enterprises, people can't put cases before the court. Um, UN agencies um, are also unable to raise a case. Uh, The only way that they're able to do anything with the court is by asking for an advisory opinion, but again, these um, opinions are not legally binding. So with states being the only ones able to bring cases and active defendants, um, victims of war crimes or crimes against humanity um, may not be able to get the justice that they are seeking for from the court um, when their nation state is either the ones doing it against them and they don't have an outside state willing to go to court for them. Another criticism is that, you know, there are a bunch of international courts, like I, I'm only talking about two, but there are regional courts, um, a bunch of those. Uh, so at times, you know, they're not all under the umbrella of the the same umbrella of what work is being done. So there can be contention between courts who may rule differently on certain cases and courts may have a hard time like engaging in effective And collective judgment if they're kind of all issuing different decisions makes international law very complicated sometimes. Um, And again, going back to kind of issues with the Security Council, there's not a full separation of powers um, from the rest of the UN um, as permanent members are able to veto enforcement of cases. even to cases of which they consented to be bound to. Um, So in a lot of times, states that are committing aggression against others are kind of just, the rulings are swept under the rug by the Security Council if they're not going to actually enforce it. There's also issues with the court being accused of Kind of only handling things on a jurisdictional ground while not resolving the underlying disputes that's causing um the cases so it's not a perfect system but nothing with the un is but um any changes to be made to the uh icj would have to be made through updating <laughs> the un charter which would be extremely hard to do given the current polarization within p5 as you need the security council to approve any updates made so um next we'll move into the international criminal court um, which like i said um, you've probably heard a lot about lately the idea for an international criminal court goes. Back to the Nuremberg trials, which, for those who are unfamiliar, were the series of 13 trials in Nuremberg, Germany between 1945 and 1949. Um, These were meant to bring Nazi war criminals to justice and to reveal the true extent of what the Germans had committed uh, against, you know, Jewish um, people in Germany or in neighboring countries like Poland, as well as other minority groups like the Roma uh, and the Sinti, or disabled people, or what they had done to prisoners of war. Basically, the whole whole bucket of people that the Nazis had committed atrocities against. Um, These trials were used to establish that all of humanity should be guarded by an international legal shield, Um, and that a head of state could be held responsible for things like aggression and crimes against humanity, as well as that individuals are accountable for their actions during war, that the whole, oh, I was just following orders things, like that doesn't work as a defense. Um, The Nuremberg trials also helped pave the way um, for future international law, as uh, future international tribunals and present day courts have modeled their basis off of these trials, as well as um, they also served to kind of push towards establishing the ICC, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, they also helped influence important international documents like the Geneva Convention and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Now, these the Nuremberg trials weren't the only um, kind of ad hoc international courts that had been established. There's also um, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, which was um, created in 1993. Uh, In 1994, um, the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda was established. So this idea of an international court going after criminals isn't new. It's something that had been repeated multiple times before the ICC was actually created. Um, And back in 1989, Trinidad and Tobago requested that the UN look into creating a permanent court that would handle this instead of, you know, every time an atrocity came up, having to establish a new ad hoc court because, you know, that took a lot of time. Um, So after three years of negotiations, the UN General Assembly adopted the ICC's founding treaty in Rome in July of 1988. And while the Rome Statute does establish the ICC, it also said that it is the duty of every state to exercise its criminal jurisdiction over those responsible for international crimes. And the ICC can only intervene where a state is unable or unwilling to genuinely carry out the investigation and prosecute the perpetrators. So... While the court may exercise jurisdiction in a situation where genocide, crimes against humanity, or war crimes were committed on or after the 1st of July in 2002, when the needed 60 countries ratified it, and the crimes were committed by a state party national, or in a territory of a state party national, or in a state that has accepted the jurisdiction of the court, or the crimes were referred to the ICC by the Security Council, it is only in those cases where the court may exercise jurisdiction. So you'd probably think, oh, well, that can't be too bad. The problem is is that not a lot of states have actually signed and ratified the Rome Statute. As of this recording, only 123 countries are parties to the Rome Statute, um, which may seem like a lot, but you know, states like the United, the U.S. isn't party, um, Russia isn't party, so there are a lot of big countries that have a lot of influence that aren't under the jurisdiction of the ICC, um, which means that addressing things like the war in Ukraine could be difficult or um, looking at the US's actions in um, Afghanistan or Iraq. uh, There's a lot of contention over that. So, however, while only 23 countries are members um, several dozen countries uh, signed the statute, but never ratified it. That includes Russia and the U.S. Um, and other countries, including China and India, never even signed it. Um, so there are a sen- there are a lot that have, but the issue is those that haven't. So as of this recording, there have only been thirty one cases before the court. Now, you may think that's not a lot, but also think, you know, they can only, um, they can only do things when the individuals that have committed very specific crimes, it's genocide, war crimes, or crimes against humanity, um, are either committing these actions within a state that has signed and ratified the Rome Statute, um, are native to a country that has signed and ratified the Rome Statute and the country that the um, crimes were committed in is willing to give the ICC um, jurisdiction or that this this jurisdiction has been given to the ICC by the Security Council. So you may not think it's a lot, but actually it's a decent number. (laughs) With that, ICC judges have issued 38 arrest warrants um, and 21 people have been detained and have appeared before the court, but 14 people still remain at large, um, and five people have had their charges dropped due to uh, them dying. So, judges have issued 10 convictions and four acquittals, uh, but there are currently investigations going on in 17 states, including Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Palestine. So, like I kind of went into with the ICJ, the, this court does face a lot of challenges as well. For one, obviously, is this limited jurisdiction uh, and the limited ability uh, for investigation. They also have to, before they can actually, you know, kind of really begin the whole process, they have to investigate the situation in the country determined to determine whether the ICC can actually act. Uh, and in a lot of these times, cases of genocide, war crimes or crimes against humanity are extremely con- complex and involve dealing with large volumes of evidence um, from foreign jurisdictions. So it's not just I think for a lot of us, we think it's going to be super easy to just be like, yeah, that's it. That's where we have to go in and solve it. But it's its really not that its it's really, really complicated um and even like i said kind of getting in this mess of having to go and investigate and the limited jurisdiction they have and can they actually work with people on the ground to get the answers that they need to determine whether or not they can actually prosecute people it's it's a really big challenge um and you tie that into being chronically underfunded it's 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 kind of a mess um and again, they can really only engage in situations where the state is either accused of being the perpetrator or where the state has failed to prosecute the perpetrators. So on top of proving that these crimes have actually happened, you have to prove that either the state is connected to it or that the state is failing to do its job in prosecution, which can be hard given how slow the judicial system works, you know, you just be like, oh, well, we just haven't gotten to it yet, you know? Um, so it's, there's a lot of really hard things, a lot of things that make it really, really hard for the ICC to do its job. It also lacks an independent police force, so it has to rely on domestic police forces to carry out work. Um, in addition to this... (laughs) Oh the Security Council the Security Council also has the power to decide that no investigation or prosecution can occur or proceed for a renewable period of twelve months, which can create the possibility of unlimited renewal and perpetual deferral so even if the ICC wants to go in to a country and investigate something and knows that uh, the state is either the perpetrator or is failing to prosecute the perpetrators, a state on the Security Council or states on the Security Council can stop that from ever happening. In addition to this, states can preliminary challenge the court as prosecutor must notify the state that they will be investigating um, or their intentions to investigate. States can then inform the court that they're handling it domestically, so the prosecutor has to defer the investigation until the pretrial chambers authorize it. Um, So, again, this can create even more time where the court isn't able to do its job. Um, And after six months or at any time where there has been a significant change in the state's unwillingness or inability to carry out the the investigation, deferral is open to review by the prosecutor. Cases can also be challenged by states um, who are investigating or prosecuting or have prosecuted, prosecuted and by states who may have decided to not prosecute unless the decision was due to the inability or the unwillingness of the state, other there, there are other challenges as well as an accused person, any state that has jurisdiction over the case, or the state of territory or nationality of the accused is also capable of challenging the case. So this really boils down to it is super, super hard for the ICC to actually do its job. As the International Criminal Court relies on cooperation with countries for support, particularly in making arrests. Like I said, they have no independent police force, as well as transferring arrested persons to the ICC detention center in The Hague, freezing suspects' assets, and enforcing sentences. The application has not been equally applied across the world, which creates an an even bigger layer of criticism for the court. They have mainly dealt with issues involving African countries, Whether this is because most African countries are member states, or this is primarily where the crimes are occurring, or because of racism has yet to be seen. Um, People have also criticized the court for imposing Western-centric laws and ideas as a form of neocolonialism. So states in maybe African or Asian countries could see this as Europe and other Western states like the U.S. using the tool or using the court as a tool to maybe not so loudly colonize them, but still force our beliefs and our viewpoints on other countries. So it's seen as political and biased against them. Um, Additionally, post-conflict societies um, often have a lot of different ideas going on um, as people work to figure out where they need to go from there you know it's not as simple as just oh let's create a government there's there's a lot that goes into it um so international criminal courts can come sometimes come in and accidentally stoke the fire even if they're trying to be helpful um so while people can argue that the court is a valuable tool to help in places of mass atrocity um, as they often cannot handle the cases themselves due to weak legal frameworks or their existing legal, legal frameworks being broken down. The ICC can help fill in these gaps. The ICC can also handle influential political figures that may not be able to be dealt with domestic domestically due to their lingering power in a country. Uh, the court is also located outside of conflict zones. Like I said, it's in The Hague and the Netherlands. Um, so victims and eyewitnesses are safer when they testify. Um, and again, that also ties into um, handling influential political figures as they're then held outside of the country. Um, so it makes it safer all around for, I think, everyone involved. So yeah, that's just a quick overview of the two courts. I know it's a lot of legal jargon, and trust me, it was complicated complicated like, learning about the, this the first time. Um, and I think with so much chatter online, it makes it even harder nowadays. Because um, I know in regards to Ukraine and the actions of Russian soldiers, people have been like, oh, well, why can't the ICC step in and prosecute people? I hope this kind of overview has kind of explained that as well as maybe what's sol- what soldiers... Or what Israeli soldiers have been doing in Palestine, or what um, Hamas did to Israel. Uh, it's its so much more complicated than just they're an international court, they can go in and do it. I hope that kind of explained why the ICC can't necessarily go in and do what a lot of people think it can do. Um, but another reason why these court systems have been in the news lately is South Africa has taken Israel to court before the ICJ over the Genocide Convention. Uh, The big long title is the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, Um, but to save everybody um, time, it's just colloquially referred to as the Genocide Convention. This is an international treaty that um, obviously criminalizes genocide and um, creates the obligation for states to Um, enforce um, the prohibition of genocide Um, and this was the first legal instrument that codified genocide as a crime and the first human rights treaty that was unanimously adopted by the General Assembly Um, this was on the 9th of December in 1948 um, with the convention entering into force on the 12th of January 1951 um, as 152 state parties as of 2022 this convention was received largely um as a response to world war ii um after the holocaust so the international community came together and recognized genocide as an international crime and called for the creation of a binding treaty to prevent and punish um, the perpetuation of genocide um After, obviously, several years of debate and negotiations and writing, this, like I said, entered into force in 1951 after enough state parties had ratified it. The convention defines genocide as any of five acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, or religious group. Um, This includes killing members of the group, causing them serious bodily or mental harm, um, imposing living conditions on them that is intended to destroy the group, um, preventing births, as well as forcefully transferring children out of that group. And these, these victims have to be targeted because of their real or perceived membership of a group and not randomly. Uh, the convention also further criminalizes the complicity, attempt, or incitement of genocide, um, with member states being prohibited to engage in genocide and obligated to pursue the enforcement of this prohibition. A uh, fun fact about this is that the United States did not become party to the genocide convention until 1988. Um, And did did this um, only um, with reservations precluding punishment of the country. If if we were ever accused of genocide, Um, this was mainly due to America has a big, a big thing about not signing international conventions and stuff. One, if it doesn't believe it will actually be capable of upholding them, but also um, for fear of um, and suspicion of any international authority that would override U.S. law. We're not big on that. So we are a party. It just it took a very long time. So, yeah, South Africa has brought Israel to court over the Genocide Convention, for its alleged violations during um, its operations in Gaza. If you've been following the news or on social media at all, you've probably seen the horrific photos out of Gaza um, and accusations against Israel um, for the actions that they are taking there. Um, So South Africa took them to court over it. I, I will say that even if the ICJ rules in favor of South Africa on this case, it is unlikely that Israel will accept the, um, the ruling, and with the U.S. on the Security Council, it is unlikely that the Security Council will enforce the ruling. Um, that doesn't mean that South Africa's case is for nothing, it just means that it will be very, very hard, um, for this to actually Do what I think a lot of people are expecting it to do, Uh, but cases like this are really important even if you don't necessarily get the legal outcome enforced or the outcome that you want. This is a really, really important way of documenting what is happening and making sure that there is a legal record of the actions that are being committed. So, of course, part of this, um, part of this is also South Africa, um, trying to get Israel to suspend its military occupation or military operations in and against Gaza. So the court is still deliberating on this as of this recording and hasn't issued anything yet. Um, given that some judges are retiring February 5th, we will most likely know before then um but it's it's very hard to but it is unlikely that this will necessarily serve as what i think people are expecting it to israel of course is denying the allegations they're committing genocide uh, in gaza um the fact that israel is even engaging with the court is a big thing because it doesn't usually and often boycotts international tribunals or UN investigations by claiming that they're unfair and biased against them. So that by itself should kind of demonstrate how big of a deal this is. This is of course getting a lot of news attention, a lot of social media attention, but I would just really encourage everyone to realize that the international courts as great as they may sound in theory and application are very, very hard to actually get results out of unfortunately, but they're designed to be like that. Um, Like I've said before, countries are not big on giving up their authority over themselves and their jurisdiction to handle things internally. So international courts are established kind of with one of their legs purposely sawn off so they can only do so much um can't really one run and solve problems they just kind of hobble um but the fact that this is happening at all should should be a big deal um and i encourage you all to go do more independent research on this because it's the court system is so incredibly complicated and complex especially international law that it's kind of hard to just sit and talk about it. Um, I've taken college classes on it, and it still is confusing to me at some points. Um, I also encourage everyone to be conscientious of where you're getting your news from or what opinion pieces they're reading, as a lot of sources can be heavily biased, especially in cases like this. Um... Just try to take everything with a grain of salt and, yes, read what they're saying, but also read how they're saying it and why they're saying it like that. Um, Because we've talked about it before, the different word choices that they use are very intentional. Um, And while I think a lot of people on social media have good intentions, social media, unfortunately, is... A proponent of a lot of misinformation so knowing that make sure to always check your sources always cite your sources and always you know always double check is this actually true is this what's actually going on and you know can the bodies that we're calling on to do things actually do what we're asking them to do. I will also just kind of, as an add on, it's really um, a a big part of this is also, um, goes back to South Africa being the one to issue or take Israel to court over this, as um, it harkens back to issues central to South Africa's own identity. Um, The African National Congress, which is the governing party of South Africa, has uh, has longstanding issues with Israel and its policies about Gaza and the actions that it has taken in Gaza for decades, um, as well as the West Bank. It often compares this to its own history under um, apartheid um, when the mi- white minority ruled um, before it, uh, apartheid ended in 1994. So, um, I will also say that, Israel, that South Africa has sought to um expand the case just beyond the current um Israel Hamas. That's what they're calling it. Conflict. Um, as as they say it, this did not begin on October 7th. Um, Palestinians have experienced systemic oppression and violence for the last 76 years. That's from right right from the mouth of the South African justice minister uh, Ronald Lamola. Um, and they hearken a lot to How two thirds of the dead in Gaza are women and children, um, and that the death toll is often not distinguished between combatants and civilians. They're all just lumped together. Um, And South African lawyer Hassim said mothers, fathers, children, siblings, grandparents, aunts, cousins are often all killed together. This killing is nothing short of destruction of Palestinian life. It is inflicted deliberately. No life is spared, not even newborn babies. So, this is, of course, um a really sensitive topic so again with you'd think with the subject being genocide that it would go before the icc but like i said they they can't handle it the only the only way it could be judged legally is before the icj um which means this is the first time that the icj has ever judged a country to be responsible for genocide um The only other time it has done anything similar to this was in two thousand and seven um when it ruled that Serbia had violated the obligation to prevent genocide um in nineteen ninety five um, about the massacre of the Bosnian Serb forces against more than eight thousand Muslim men and boys um in a bosnian enclave so so this is this is a big deal. Um, to put it mildly, and I will say that the that Israel is expected back in the ICJ next month, uh, not for um, what's going on in Gaza, but rather um, into um, a UN request for an advisory opinion of what Israel um, has been doing and its policies in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. So this is not something new for Israel, but like I said, this is the first time they've actually. Uh, shown up as they often boycott, um, boycott these events. So yeah, um, I know that was a lot of legal jargon. That was a lot of really heavy topics. I hope this has kind of been a decent overview of the two different courts. Um, I had I didn't talk too much about the South Africa case because it's it's really really complicated. Anything with actual legal. Jargon is, but it really just boils down to them going against Israel for the genocide convention, which I hope I also provided a decent explanation for that. Um, I hope you all have enjoyed today's effort episode. I know it's kind of a little heavier than what we usually do, but I thought with so much of this being talked about online that it was really, really important to kind of come in and be like, Hey, hey guys. Um, the courts can't do necessarily what you think they can do. I wish they could, but they can't. Um, so yeah. Um, but before we wrap up, uh, here's just a quick word about our coloring book. Um, like I mentioned earlier, um, there are a lot of different ways that you can support the work we do here at GEC, one of which is, um, the coloring book. Um, It's for sale on Amazon. I always link it in the description below. Um, It's a really great way for kids to be able to practice their fine motor skills um, as they color and draw as there's extra pages included um, to encourage kids um, in their artistic abilities. Um, It also includes fun facts about the animals um, and other interesting ways for kids to be able to learn. In addition to that, um, we also have um, a shop on our website which again I will link in the description below. We offer a lot of really great products. Um, I know I consistently use the notebook that I got from the shop um, as well as my tote bag. Um, but we have we have a little something for everybody so I really encourage you all to check it out. Um, you can also donate on our website. Um, we also run campaigns. Um, for donations on social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. Uh, So with that, please check out our social media. Any kind of engagement really helps us um, as a big portion of what we do is outreach um, and just spreading the word that issues like this even exist. So really encourage you all to check out our social media platforms um, and also to check out our think tank publications. Uh, We have quite a few posted at this point, um, with more coming soon. They talk about a wide range of topics um, to help, like I said, kind of advocate for and spread awareness about really important issues that the general public might not be super knowledgeable about. Um, You can also check out our Patreon, which I will link in the description below. That's a great way to check. That's a great way to help us here at the podcast. Um, But yeah, with that, Uh, This has been GEC Important Talks, hosted by the team at Global Education Connection. Um, You can check us out on all social media platforms, um, as well as our website, um, www.globaleducationconnection.org, to find more about who we are, what we do, and how else you can best support us. So thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. Bye!